0: Everyone, welcome to another episode of the Browns Note Podcast. This is Ryan Burns coming to you from Dog Pound West in Orange County, California. If you would head on over to Twitter, follow at FTBL Sickness. Also, follow the podcast at The Browns Note. We're going to be joined shortly by Pete Smith, uh, our old friend Pete Smith, to talk big picture and, of course, a little bit about the Kansas City game and the upcoming Steelers game. Uh, But mostly, of course, we're looking at... The end of another bad season and a bunch of change coming down the pike, it sounds like. You've got rumors everywhere, and depending on which ones you believe. uh, They are rumors of a head coach being fired, a general manager being fired, possibly both. Uh, Very rarely do you hear the idea that neither would be gone, so it sounds like change is coming either way. And here on episode 38, the final of the regular season uh, for this 2015 NFL season, we'll talk about all of it because, look, We can. We have time. And uh, it looks like it's all coming this week. Obviously, some really interesting developments if you're in for sort of the coaching search part of the offseason with Chip Kelly being fired in Philadelphia. That was a surprise to me. Um, I I personally don't have a lot of high hopes that they're going to be – and a lot of people don't think they ought to be interested in somebody like Chip Kelly. I'd be interested if they choose to make a change. Um, But I guess I think there are probably other guys that – that the people in charge will have in mind before Chip Kelly, who's already spurned them once and has had sort of an inauspicious beginning to what I still believe will be a pretty long NFL head coaching career. So we'll see how that all happens. Uh, Obviously, the loss in Kansas City, disappointing to lose, but I think there were things in that game where you had to at least be appreciative that they went into a hostile environment against a team that is as hot as any in the NFL and managed to make a game of it. You know, they've done that really all season long, if you look at the box scores going back over the season, there are, you know, it can be frustrating, of course, because these are all missed opportunities. But I mean, there are games there: San Diego, Denver, um, man, a couple of those, a couple of those games in between. Obviously, that uh, that that Cincinnati game was not one they were going to win. But there were some games over the course of the season where one player or the other goes a different direction, and this is maybe a whole different discussion. But, nevertheless, that is the name of the game, and here we are at 3-12, and 12, and uh, that's why change happens. Uh, but that's what we're going to talk about, all of it, here on Episode 38 of the Browns Note Podcast. Brendan Leiser, our friend, uh, is off this week, so we're bringing in Pete Smith, and let's do that now, everybody. Here's Pete Smith and myself. We go on for about 40-ish minutes. Uh, we we'll talk big picture, talk Kansas City, talk Pittsburgh, and uh, hope you enjoy All right, as promised, pleased to welcome back now our old friend Pete Smith, who you can and should be following on Twitter at underscore Pete Smith underscore. You can find his work at the NFL Spin Zone draft breakdown, and uh, he does a lot of good uh, coaching work in the Ohio area, and uh, he's been here with us on the podcast a few times this season and dropped plentiful knowledge. Pete, good to have you back again, man. Happy holidays and uh, happy new year to you.
1: Yeah, you too. I mean, uh, I'm like everybody else, man, just uh, eagerly anticipating seeing what uh, who, who's actually going to be right, who's going to be wrong, and, and how sad we're all going to be when it all shakes out.
0: Ah, yes. The annual off-season ritual, as it has become. For we Cleveland Browns fans, of course, we're referring to the rumors and senses and whatnot of all sorts of changes coming down the pike. We will, of course, talk about all that stuff, talk about the reasoning for it. And this will be a nice little sneak preview, I guess, to a a longer, more thorough discussion once the season is over and once some or all of these changes either have or have not taken place. But um, let's at least talk a little bit about the actual football games that have gone on and are about to go on before we spend uh, what I'm sure will be the majority of the podcast actually getting into that bigger picture stuff because at this point in the season, of course, there are really only so many things to take out of the games when your team's at you know 3-10, and 3-11, et cetera, and, uh, and all these things are supposedly coming. So as we look back on the game in Kansas City, I mean, Here's what I'll tell you. I have a few observations. Number one, I didn't watch this game as closely as I have a lot of the Browns' other games, because quite frankly, um, you know, three and twelve is no fun. And there were other games on and I had some golf to play and <laughs> so I saw the whole game, but I saw it kind of fast and half heartedly. Um but here were my observations. I you know, Manziel's numbers weren't very good. I'm not particularly impressed by the running, but I did I, I did think it was interesting that to me, you could visibly see a difference between just the general fundamental quarterback stuff, the footwork and the accuracy. And he just didn't look nearly as comfortable this week against what has been one of the hottest teams in the NFL um, in their home stadium. And uh, what is to me, one of the better defenses in the NFL. So clearly, you know, I'm not going to go out and and start talking about not ready for primetime. What I'm going to say is that ought to show us the difference between what a good team is and what a really mediocre team is. So that's what I took really out of the offensive performance. I was encouraged uh, by what I saw out of the run game. You know, Forget Manziel's running. I don't want him doing that. It, obviously he can make some plays with his legs and extend things and help you out there, but I don't want him rushing for 100 yards a game. That That is not... A formula to win. That's a formula to getting him killed, in my mind. So, But but I like the way they've been using a little bit more of the spread run game. They've seemed to be able to sort of find their way these past couple of weeks, and I'm I'm hoping to see a little bit more evidence of that this weekend in Pittsburgh. And then on the defensive side of the ball, I actually thought they were pretty good this this week, and and I, I continue to see some improvement out of the young guys, the Sheltons and the Orchards. Um, I'm not going to throw Justin Gilbert into that pile, obviously. We know what pile he needs to be thrown into. But uh, give me your thoughts, Pete, coming out of that Kansas City game. Was there anything really, you know, exciting for you out of that game?
1: Well, with Manziel, you've got – for people who who want to see sort of college Manziel uh, in terms of running, you sort of got it. And for those people, I would say you see why it shouldn't happen. Uh, even if you take the concussion out of the equation, which is unfortunate and obviously you don't want to have it, he was visibly beaten up just as the course of that game. You could there are points where he's getting picked up off the ground by teammates. I mean, he was just he was in bad shape. Uh, as far as throwing the football to me, I saw a guy who was uncomfortable uh, with pressure up the middle. Uh, he kept sidestepping. He wasn't stepping into throws. So he was sort of step stepping sideways, like you throw like a routine play to the shortstop in baseball. It Just wasn't accurate. I mean, people talk about weapons, and that's fine. Yes, we need more weapons. We need more a lot of things. But it, you know, he couldn't hit wide open Gary Barnage. He couldn't hit you know the broadside of a barn. So I mean, if he's not throwing into the right zip code, you can make all the weapons arguments you want. It's just not going to work. Uh, I, I will say that while he is not where he needs to be, that was easily Cam Irving's best game as a pro. And for a guy who has taken a ton of criticism, all warranted uh, for how bad he's been. And he easily, it, it, you could have put him on injured reserve for, for a, a mental breakdown. I give him a world of credit for fighting and actually looking at times like an NFL player. Uh, so if that's a testament to uh, you know his football character. I'm at least very interested, if not excited, to see what he can do with a full offseason if he dedicates himself and and makes the most of it. Uh, I also was impressed with Austin Pastor. I don't think he's a world-changing guard, but he's a guy I'd like on my football team, even if it's just as a backup. I mean, when they run power, pulling Pastor from left guard going to the right, they can do some stuff. And, and, you know, you can see these last couple games where – you know, the running game at least looks at times like a running game. That's, that's something I can genuinely take uh, some, some, you know, I can be happy with that type of production. It's certainly not good. It's certainly not where it needs to be, but you can at least see some things that make you suggest, uh, you know, you can at least see things are heading in a better direction. Defensively. This defense finally looks like these guys are actually flying around and, and playing football. They aren't thinking about what they need to be doing. They're actually sort of reacting and doing it. And there's a noticeable difference. Uh, you see guys flying around to the ball. You see a lot of helmets to the football. You see a lot of uh, energy, a lot of excitement from guys that they weren't perfect. But, uh, you know, the second half, I don't, if the Chiefs got past the 50, I think it was just once. They gave up zero points. And overall, you saw just a a very different attitude defensively. And then in the end of the first half, you have uh, my guy, Barkebe Smingo, who I like quite a bit. If he just finishes that sack, they may only give up 10 uh, 10 points in that game. Uh, It's a shame that he didn't. uh, And that's sort of the the knock on him is he he went too high and missed that sack in Alex Smith. But you see a guy who can disrupt and just needs to finish that play. But that sets up a touchdown. And, you know, we talked about those little mistakes making big, big plays and you, you see seven points on the board as a result. But for a team that many keep complaining, wants to lay, you know, roll over and die. This team doesn't want to do it. So if you're saying, you know, what's the argument for a guy like Mike Pettin to stick around, there seems to be quite a bit of fight in this team. Now that doesn't mean he's perfect or there's not a lot that needs to be corrected. And Jim O'Neill still needs to be fired out of the cannon, but the fact is that you know for a team that was three and eleven coming into this game, I saw a team that, that desperately wanted to win. That 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 fought right. like a team that wanted to really make a statement against, as you mentioned, it the the hottest team in the NFL. I mean, that was the Chiefs' ninth win in a row, and you know the Bronx played them all the way to the end. That you know, for better or worse. Yep.
0: And that, you know, that's kind of been the theme in a lot of these games is, to me, they've been in so many games and just failed to win them. And there is something to be said for that being a coaching thing. There's also something to be said for that being a talent thing. Um, And to me, there's also something to be said for a program has to learn how to win, and you can't do it in in two years if you're at the bottom of the barrel when you start. But that's a whole other part of the discussion. Um, I I have to agree with you on Cam Irving. I'm glad you brought it up. I thought he was, uh, you know, it wasn't great, but... He looked like a guy who's learning to play in the NFL and who isn't going to simply roll over, which I, I very much appreciate. And and frankly, that's not a surprise. That's, that's the guy that you hear he was, you know, and, and he's always been somebody who looks like he's out there um, trying to be physical, even when he's failing to be. But like you say, I mean, there were some things from the big picture standpoint in this game. If you look at the total yards, the Browns outgained Kansas City 368 to 258. So this obviously wasn't a game... Where they were just, you know, dominated. They led in time of possession. They led in first downs. Um, really, it was just, you know, it, it was a play or two, frankly, and that tends to be the way it is you know, when you're playing good teams in the NFL. And um, you know, Alex Smith threw for 125 yards. He just didn't. <laughs> you know, he also threw two touchdowns. So it's just one of those one of those games where, you know, the better team did a little bit more and beat the lesser team. And and to me. It's not one of those losses where the team looked like they were a bad football team, um, unlike previous losses. Uh, So anyway, that's kind of what I think about that game. I don't think there's a ton to be taken from it uh, from the long term. And and obviously, they're going to lose Manziel this week, going into Pittsburgh tomorrow. Um, So we're we're done with what we're going to have to analyze Johnny on, at least in terms of on-the-field play. Going into 2016, before we talk about Pittsburgh, let's just let's do some of the uh, the big picture stuff. So, you and I have talked about this a number of times. We've certainly tweeted about it a number of times. Uh, the quarterback position, obviously, Manziel is the big question. Do they continue with hoping he's their guy? Do they? roll with this same room, given that they got so much out of this same quarterback room this season. And I think that's obviously tied to the coaching and front office decisions. So this is probably all mostly moot if the rumors about upcoming firings are true, but sort of give me your sense, Pete, if you would, on what they really have. And, you know, we we've talked about some of the quarterback prospects. There's Goff, who appears to be, uh, he's coming out. Lynch is coming out. Um, Wentz will be there. And I suppose the guy that I don't really know what the hell to think about is Connor Cook, but um, there's enough red flag there that I guess I feel like, from what I know, you know, of the Browns situation, I don't know how they could do the Connor Cook thing just based on what you hear about the kid. But tell me, tell me your sort of sense about the room they have vis-a-vis the guys that they might have an opportunity to uh, to either supplement or replace it with.
1: Well, I mean. The quarterback room they have right now, they have two professional quarterbacks and a guy who has to decide what he wants to be. Uh, I, you know, I've gotten a lot of criticism, but if you ask me right now, Austin Davis is a better quarterback than Johnny Manziel. Uh, That doesn't mean Manziel can't be, won't be, whatever. But right this second, I don't think it's close that Austin Davis is, is a better quarterback. And I think, Uh, between the fact that Pittsburgh has a horrible secondary and and I think Manziel is obviously losing out on the fact that they are so bad and he could have you know picked himself up a little bit finishing up against them I expect Austin Davis will have a good game everybody everybody has had a good game against Pittsburgh so I expect he will so he's a a competent quarterback in the but that doesn't mean he's a starting caliber quarterback he's just a guy that's uh, a professional, a guy that's worth having in the room, uh, you know, and then you have Josh McCown, who I cannot say enough about how much I like Josh McCown uh, as a professional, as a person, as, as as a a guy who means as much as he does to the organization, that room, and specifically Manziel. He is, you know, basically everything you could hope for in in a guy. Uh, obviously played it, played his heart out uh, and then injured, injured uh, multiple times, ribs, now the collarbone. And, and, you know, if you have to play Josh McCown, you've got a guy who can, who can go out there and give you a, you know, a fighting chance. Again, he's not a guy who's going to win you a lot of football games, but he obviously brings a lot of value to the table. The thing that scares you, John, Johnny Mandel can be a very impressive quarterback. Uh You know, you've mentioned the name Jeff Garcia, if he can get there, uh, that he'd be great. I agree. Personally, I think he can be better than that, which says a lot about what I think of Manziel's overall potential, in that uh, for all the things Garcia can do, Manziel obviously has, you know, more in terms of his legs. Garcia was an athletic quarterback, but he's not on the same level as as Manziel in terms of quickness and stuff. There are times with Manziel where it looks like he's legitimately – Trapped has nowhere to go. And he almost sluices through uh, a couple of linemen and, and scampers out for either to make a throw or, or run the ball or whatever. And there's, you know, and that sort of, you can't coach that pilot type of thing. That's certainly something he brings to the table. But this week was a bad week for Manziel on the field. It was a bad week off the field. It was arguably worse. You obviously had another video uh, and, and, you know, I'm tired of arguing about what these mean and all this stuff. But the thing that that, that 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 I frankly am stunned, but I guess I shouldn't be, is the the press conferences that they had this week, where Mike Patton and John Filippo basically stopped the idea that that everything is fine. They they basically put it out there without putting it out there that look, he's not fine. He's got issues he's got to sort out. He's got to decide if he wants to be the, the man. He's got to decide if he wants to be a professional well, and football player. I don't player.
0: understand how it is that that's not just patently obvious to anybody with two eyes and a brain. But, uh, you know, people want him to succeed so badly, and so do I. But you can't just ignore everything that happens and say, oh, Petten just hates him. Uh, to me, I, I I will never understand that line of reasoning. To me, it is... Pettin's the only damn guy around that's willing to make Manziel be a grown-up. And to me, that's a good thing. And so, I, you know, as much as I'm rooting for Manziel and as many issues as I have with Pettin, that I would ride with forever. Because, you know, this idea that he just hates Johnny, and look, I think he would prefer a more traditional, you know, six-foot-five, big-armed quarterback. I think any head coach would prefer that, by and large. But I think he's also open to the possibility that Manziel can be really good. I think his... Comments have been commensurate with that. I think the way he's handled the quarterback situation has been commensurate with that. And I think the way he's attempted to be supportive in the moments where it was warranted have more than showed that. So to me, uh, you know, I, I don't know how it's not obvious to everyone that this is entirely on Manziel to become a grown-up faster than perhaps he's ready to do. And look, the organization has two choices. It can either A, Choose to be patient about that, choose to accept that it knew what it got when it drafted Johnny Manziel and that it has X number of years with him cheaply under contract to develop and determine whether he's that guy or not. If he's not willing to be in that time, maybe the answer is he's gone. Um, but I don't see that there is forced to make a decision right this second on whether Johnny Manziel is the quarterback of the future, especially in a world where. First-round draft choices are no longer the crippling investments that they used to be. It's still a bad thing to blow one, but it's not the same thing in the year 2015 as it was even five years ago, based on a, on a salary cap. Um, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The salary caps factor. The in terms of the the draft resource you are investing you take a quarterback in the first round, it's not the same thing as it used to be. And so you can take another one if they really feel like there's a guy there they like and then see what happens. And God forbid, the worst case scenario is you've got two decent players. Um, to me, I, I, I just the, the situation to me screams for A, patience, and B, just pragmatism, which means you can't possibly be fully invested in this guy based on the course of events. But you also ought not just throw him away. And that's, to me, where I land. And so as you look at these guys coming through, I guess the way I feel it is, number one, I'd probably rather have Bosa than any of them. But if you're forcing me to look at a quarterback and you're forcing me to do it in a first round, um, be it at pick number two, three, 15 after trade, whatever, um, I, I guess my sense about it is, if you feel like that quarterback is there that is worthy of that, you take him, and then you see what happens. And it either lights a fire under Manziel, and he becomes great, or this new kid has a shot at being really good, or you're stuck right back where you were, and it's no harm done either way. Um, that's probably a little bit uh, non lucid and convoluted. But but as you look at these guys coming out, kind of where do you stack them up in terms of can they really improve the team if they're taking them first round?
1: The yeah. Reality is none of these guys appears ready to come in and play right now. Uh, I think Golf is probably the most uh, ready to sort of figure it out and, and come in and play. But you know, you, you're looking at these guys, and it's not. There's no no doubt guy. There just isn't. And in that respect, if you're if you're saying you know, you can get Jerry Bosa and no, he's not JJ Watt personally. I think he's gonna be this generation's Justin Smith, which to me is a hell of a football player because I think Justin Smith's a Hall of Famer. Uh versus a very calculated risk in, in one of these quarterbacks. Uh golf to me is the most traditional of the group uh in terms of drop back passer. He you know he has feet. He doesn't necessarily like to use them very much. Very quick decision maker gets rid of the ball, you know, he's smart, he can diagnose. Uh, He will make mistakes, but it's usually because he's fooled on something because he operates so quickly. So there's something you can work with on that. He's not a guy who's going to sit there and hold on to the football and get killed. It's just not who he is, not what Cal has sort of brought him up to be. Paxton Lynch um, is not ready to play right now, and I don't think there's anybody who's claiming he is, but he's 6'7", he's 250 pounds, and he may end up being able to run a four-five, and he doesn't look it, but he glides on the field sort of like Terrell Pryor does. He's just so big, he's so long. Sometimes you get fooled into not realizing how long those strides are going. Where he's just he's flying, and it doesn't really look it. So in terms of that, he may test out being like, a, you know, maybe better than Joe Flacco, who a lot of people don't remember was an unbelievable athlete coming out of Delaware. So. That's sort of where you're looking at a guy like Paxton Lynch. He can make up, He can make every throw. He can be. He can be very accurate. Can be great with ball placement. Uh, obviously has legs. Uh, but where he has to get better is in part. You have to figure out if he can digest an NFL offense because Memphis's offense is incredibly simple. It's not. It's it's basically a high school offense in terms of how quick. How uh, how uncomplicated it is. They use one word play calls in certain cases, which is something that dogged Brett Smith coming out of Wyoming, uh, which is a guy I really liked. Uh, but so you've got to figure out if he can do it. Then he's got to get better at dealing with how, dealing with the pocket. He's got to get better at some of his decision-making and just sort of overall feel. So he's a guy that feels like a project. Now in the sense that uh, if the Browns keep John D. and, uh, kevin o'connell to me i'd be more inclined to go with paxton lynch based on the fact that i really believe they can coach i really believe these guys can get the best out of a quarterback and from that standpoint i would take the guy as long as they sign off on the guy i would be inclined to give them the guy with the highest upside and there's no question that that lynch just screams upside now he may have the low a lower floor than a lot of guys but in terms of just overall upside. And if you believe these two guys can get the, get the best out of them, and you plan on keeping them, then he makes all the sense of the world. If you fire your coaching staff, which is perfectly reasonable, uh, then Goff probably makes more sense just because you can come in and he can come in and probably be the most likely to play now. But like I said, if you keep the staff together and you believe that Manziel can get his stuff together, and, you know, there's a lot there. Uh, chemical dependence and everything else. It's not easy. It's not a quick fix and everything else, but you could conceivably have Manziel come in as the 2016 starter or McCown or whoever, and then have and then sort of have Paxton Lynch in the same, in, in, in that progression. I think Paxton Lynch can run the exact same offense as Johnny Manziel, which is a scary prospect in its own right, just to say what Paxton Lynch sort of brings to the table. Personally, as an overall sort of impression of, of what the Browns could do, might do, should do. Personally, I think if he's there, you take Joey Bosa, and then you try to trade up from that what is right now the 32nd pick of the draft, that first pick of the second round. You try to trade up and get one of these guys who's slipping because there's no guarantee any of them are going to the top of the draft. And if it's a guy like Carson Wentz, uh, the quarterback from North Dakota State, and and there's a lot to like there, but I really want to see him go to the senior bowl just because he'll be playing against that top notch competition, see how he reacts, see how he does all that stuff. Uh, he's a guy who could be there. There will be a lot of talk of Connor Cook. Connor Cook has a lot going for him. The, the, the talk with Connor Cook is all about him personality wise and that he's just, I've heard some people describe him as Ryan Leaf with less, less upside. I've heard some people describe him as sort of just being sort of his own man. I know even yet with the craziness that gets into how over the top analysis of bull games are, I know there are a lot of people who crushed Connor Cook for his body language all game long this past week uh, in, in the semifinal. Right. There's just a lot of people. There's just a lot of noise. that's not good for Connor Cook. I think if he goes to the senior bowl and that's not decided yet, that would be going a long way in trying to combat some of those uh, thoughts of him, as far as who he is off, the, you know, attitude-wise and everything else. Not being a captain and all of this, he could sort of start being proactive and trying to change some minds there. If he doesn't, there's going to be just more buildup that he's got these issues to deal with. Uh, but so, like I said, if 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 uh, if I'm the Browns, the most pragmatic approach I would have is if he's there, I take Bosa. And, and one of these guys will be there either – you trade up into the, into the first round because then you get that fifth year of control. The first-round contracts, you get four, four years and a team option for a fifth year. Second-round contract are four years. And the thing you see a lot of times is is teams trade up into the first round because that fifth year of control is extremely valuable. Right. Joe Flacco is a good example of that. That's uh, so water. that's, that's – yeah. Yeah, that's another one. These guys where you just want to make sure you get that extra of your control, it's extremely valuable. So just looking at it from that big picture standpoint, that's sort of where I'd be at. The question is now is going to be who is making that call.
0: Right, right. And that will obviously affect everything. And, and I, I don't want to get into candidates and all that stuff. We can do that next week if they fire everybody. And who knows, maybe he'll fire everybody and then hire someone immediately. Maybe he's got somebody lined up. I can't imagine that's the case personally. But um, based on the history we've got here, uh, I'm not real optimistic. They're going to have the sorts of names that people would hope for uh, as realistic options. But you never know. Let's be optimistic, at least for the moment. Um, You know, you wrote a piece, I think it was last week, that I wanted to give you a chance to to chat about just a little. It was the Ray Farmer piece, at, uh, and it was at Spin Zone, NFL Spin Zone, and um, it, it, the thrust of it was, and I'll I'll attempt to uh, paraphrase the entire thesis in one sentence or two. The thrust of it is basically that that Ray Farmer, when left to his own devices, appears to have some idea of what he's doing in terms of talent procurement, but at least in these first two seasons has sort of failed to either, however you look at this, assert himself sufficiently or uh, to stick with the process sufficiently and has allowed other voices to sort of cloud the process and or influence the process or in some cases drive the process. And that's how we end up with things like Justin Gilbert, who, as you point out, Ray Farmer had never even met um, when he drafted him. So I, and I tweeted out something today that was along those lines that you thought was a good example. I was I was talking about the very first draft in Baltimore when Ozzie Newsom had become general manager and Art Modell, <laughs> yeah, we'll just leave him at that name, you know, said with disdain. Uh, he wanted Lawrence Phillips, and Art Mo, or, or, uh, Ozzie Newsom tells him, Art, you know, no, that's the stupid thing to do. We're not going to take this running back, this fungible position, this guy who is all flash. We're going to take the big Hall of Fame left tackle, Jonathan Ogden. And they did. And, of course, they took some other decent players as well. But the point being that, ultimately, Ozzie Newsome knew that his job was to put together the team. And his job was to shut the other voices out and up when the time came. And uh, you seem to have agreed with that as an example of where Farmer kind of failed this first couple of years. So I wanted to give you just a chance to expand on that a little bit.
1: If Ray Farmer's career as a GM ends this week, his epitaph on his NFL career will be the 2014 draft. It just is. Because that, t- that class could have any number of you know all pros and, and eventually some Hall of Famers. And by all accounts, he had a plan in place. He had guys he liked. And when push came to shove, he sort of let other people just push him off of what he wanted to do and he did it for the sake of accommodating them or whatever. In other words, to me, he drafted scared. And, and, and in, in a business where you are hired to get fired, there is no way around it. You are hired to get fired. And and the best example of that is Bill Pullian, uh the, the architect of the of the Bills, that went through three, four Super Bowls in a row, was fired after the third trip. The idea that you would fire your GM after three straight Super Bowls because he isn't good enough. It, it, the idea of, you know, so you're you're hired to get fired. So if you're going to get fired, no matter what you do, do it your way. And 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 uh, Ozzie Newsom's the best example. It basically said, you know, this is the job you hired me to do. I'm going to go out my way. And ultimately he got Jonathan Ogden, who's a Hall of Famer, and Lawrence Phillips, you know, the, the, he was an extremely talented running back, but he's also in jail. Uh, for any number of reasons. Uh, And and that's sort of the ultimate example of, I'm not going down for your idea. And that's where Ray Farmer appears to have gotten himself in trouble. You know, I believe that Ray Farmer wanted Derek Carr. I cannot prove it, but I do know he spent six hours with Derek Carr in Mobile, Alabama, and he never met Justin Gilbert. That, to me, says... He had no interest in Justin Gilbert. The idea that he went out, never went to the pro day, and maybe this is just an elaborate ruse. He didn't do everything he could do as far as uh, seeing Johnny Manziel, but he went to Teddy Bridgewater's pro day. To me, says he had other guys in mind. Like it just doesn't, it just doesn't add up. And then when put, you know, in the case of of, of Justin Gilbert, there's no question, Patton loved him loved him until he actually got him. And then you found out what the problem was, which is what, which is what makes the crime of never having met him so insane. Uh, But I mean, you just, if you're a GM and and you're saying that this is, this is, you know, first round picks are what they are. They, they matter in terms of this is who's going to represent me. This is my first pick of a regime. This is, this is, you know, this is my, my opportunity to make my stamp of a legacy. And I've never met the guy. It just doesn't compute for me. So, and then, and then, so you have that new push for Gilbert and ultimately Ray Farmer backed off and gave it to him. And you find out that Gilbert has all these personalities issues, which you would have found out if you actually put him the time to meet him. And then in the case of Johnny Manziel, you have the owner push for him. The head coach didn't want him. The offensive coordinator didn't want him, which was then Kyle Shanahan, who really wanted Kirk Cousins. Uh, you, the, the scouting department and analytics said, or the analytics said uh, Teddy Bridgewater. So the scouting department evidently didn't want him. And I don't believe the GM wanted him, but they picked him anyway. So if you're saying to me, and, and I, you know, use the Bill Parcells concept of buying the groceries. If he's making the meal, you're buying the groceries. In the case of Ray Farmer, you buy the best groceries. He'll make whatever, you know, he's going to make the meal you got to give them the best groceries. Don't go down for anybody else's idea. And I don't have enough insight into the 2015 draft as far as who, who, uh, you know, who sort of made the ultimate picks and whatnot, but it's just all about that 2014 class. And you look at a guy like Derek Carr who has 52 touchdowns, which is fourth all time in the first two seasons. And meanwhile, we've got, we've got, a kid who has about as many touchdowns as he does videos of him doing something stupid. So, you know, he's probably, whether he gets fired or not, you're just looking at a guy who has basically, who will ultimately go down for decisions he didn't really want to make. And you have to get a guy who's willing to come in here and say, look, I'm not afraid. I'm going to go down my way. And that's, that's sort of where the broads are at. So, you know, you can say, well, Ray Farmer, you know, got trapped by a coach uh who wasn't good an owner who wasn't good that's all fine when it came to what he's responsible for with where the buck stops with him he failed to act and that's ultimately where we are with with you know the general manager position and and this argument that well Patton wouldn't have played this guy you know the guys he picked that's stupid for one but but even if he didn't then he then the coach would go down for not playing better players it's not like The coach to might go
0: down for not playing better players too,
1: right? I mean, right. I mean, it, it, you know, so you just have to do your job. Just go down, go down, doing it your way. I, I cannot emphasize this enough. Hired to get fired. If you're going to get fired anyway, do it your way. And yep. in, in that respect, Ray Farmer.
0: Yep, I agree with all that completely. And and it's easy. It's one thing to say okay, but. Jimmy Haslam's the owner, and he made him take Manziel. Well, okay, if that's the case, then why are we talking about any of this? Because we're obviously doomed as a franchise, number one. But number two, no, that's not how it works. The GM's job is to persuade the owner, either by, you know, taping his hands to the chair, as they apparently did with, Jimmy, or with Jerry Jones last year, uh, or by just telling him, no, that's not what we're going to do, as we're talking about with this anecdote with Ozzie Newsom, uh, and doing the right thing. And if you allow yourself to be moved off of what you believe in, um, you deserve what's coming to you, in my mind. So that's kind of where we are on all that. And like I say, we can come back and revisit this in a week when we have a better idea of who's going where and uh, whether any of this is still intact in 72 hours is going to be fascinating to see. But before that happens, there's going to be a game in Cleveland, oh goody, against the Pittsburgh Steelers, who absolutely got to have it. And uh, when that is the case... I expect the Pittsburgh Steelers to roll, and I expect them to roll this weekend uh, for any number of reasons. Number one, man, they've got weapons on offense, and when you're when you're talking to Browns fans about the various ways that one might go about improving our team, um, it's pretty hard to ignore uh, the disparity uh, when you talk about the weaponry that the Pittsburgh Steelers have, including the quarterback position, and obviously that's probably the biggest difference and always will be until you have a quarterback, but... Um, granted hall of fame quarterback, but they've got some guys on the outside that are just so ridiculously good. And, and it, it, it's, it does beg the question to me of how do you expect to win in this division if you don't go get a couple of, couple of those guys. So that'll be, be on display this weekend. I fully expect the Steelers to come out, put on huge numbers of points. Uh, Look, the Browns have been playing hard and frankly, the defense has played better the last few weeks, but, um, in a week where Pittsburgh has to have this one and they're going out fighting for their playoff lives and the Browns are down to their third, fourth, fifth string corners, I can't say that I think it's going to have gotten substantially better than it was just a few short weeks ago in Pittsburgh. Can you give me any reason to expect anything different?
1: Uh, I mean, I I, I expect Pittsburgh's going to win and and frankly, it's in the Browns' best interest that they do uh, at this point. And that's not to say that they won't try to win and they won't do everything they can, but it's just, that's where it, where it is. It, You know, the Browns are probably going to be better off with the second pick in the draft than they would be from winning a pride game against the Steelers, even if it's as the, uh, you know, as a spoiler. Uh, you know, you mentioned the, the, the Browns corners. They're down a bunch of guys. Shaman Williams is out, a guy who I think has been grossly over criticized this year in terms of what he brings on the field and off of it. Uh, so. You know, you've got Charles Gaines, who I don't think is—I think is playing out of position personally. I think he's a slot corner playing on the outside. He gives you everything he's got. There's just not enough there to stop a guy like Antonio Brown, a guy like Martavis Bryant. Uh, you know, they've got obviously weapons for days. Uh, the the question is is going to be how many points can the Browns put up? Because Manziel threw for almost 400, and the Browns ended up with nine uh, points. That's sort of where the rubber meets the road on this one is is how are they ultimately going to pay those off. Because I think they're I think they're going to move the ball. I think Austin Davis is going to put up yards. Uh not only because it's the Steelers and they're awful, because it wouldn't be a bronze season if the uh third string quarterback didn't come out and put up three hundred and something yards and a couple touchdowns in a meaningless game to make the uh climate regarding the quarterback position and the team in general insane going into the offseason. Uh so there's there's that element but uh you know the the question I have is is guys like Travis Benjamin Benjamin's clearly hurt. it's a question of how bad he's hurt uh Gary Barnes is still playing great, but they just you know when, with Benjamin hurt uh you see how hard it is for them to get rec- receivers opening uh and, and create space for themselves. uh Brian Hartline going down was a problem didn't help uh so and I like. Darius Jennings, I don't think he's, you know, a great player by any stretch, but he at least will do some stuff. But when, you, when you're when you down to guys that, you know, Terrell Pryor is probably going to have to play in this game and show you why he's not ready to be a wide receiver and all these other things, uh, it's not a good recipe. So offensively, I think they're going to move the ball. I think it's going to be a question of if they can score a point. I'm more interested to see what the Bronze front seven brings to this game as sort of their last and final statement. Uh, you know, the Armani Bryant situation last week forced the Browns to put Kruger in his actual position, which, by the way, looked pretty good uh, from the rush spot. And they got some production out of Orchard. They got some production out of Mingo. Uh, and it looked a lot better. Uh, you know, we'll see if if, if Bryant is held out. I expect he probably will be. Uh, and then they just go with the same look and see if that helps. But if Shelton can have a good game and the Steelers, have a nice little young center. Uh, and Cody Wallace is a scrapper. But, it, you know, this would be a nice opportunity for 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 Shelton to go out uh, on a high note. And personally, I, I like what I've seen out of Shelton. I know a lot of guys like to make fun of – people like to make fun of him for, you know, pile jumping and all this other stuff. But he plays so hard. And, you know, for a guy that big – who, by the way, and, and good, good for him for going without the shirt because I get people who complain that Shelton's fat. You see him with his shirt off. I wish I looked that good. And he's 340 pounds. There's just not much fun. He's just a dense human being, and he's really, really powerful. Now he's got things to improve on, but but for you know, for a guy, you know, a rookie he and wants all this other stuff, that's what
0: People don't understand that about Shelton. He wants it. He, that, that guy's gonna be good because he he just he has that demeanor of I'm going to work to learn how to do the things that I need to do to be dominant at my p That's just the guy he is. You just couldn't hear enough of that stuff for, four, for uh, three, three years at Washington. Now, you know, I would hear that from people that coached him, heard it from, you know, people that were re- relatively close to that program, and then all throughout draft season you heard about how everybody loved his demeanor. That's who that
1: kid's going to be. I agree. And and the other part of this, and people can say they're playing for Petty. I honestly don't care. I expect an unbelievable amount of professional pride out of this group. And for whatever you want to say about this team, they have not quit even a little bit.
0: Yep, I agree with
1: that. They will play incredibly hard. Now, if you want to make the extension to say that this is for Pettin to keep his job, that's fine. Certainly, there's been a number of guys who've said they like to keep him around. Obviously, I'm cynical in some respects. Obviously, in Manzanel's case, I think it's in his best interest that Pettin stays. I think it's in Dante Whitner's best interest that Petant stays. Uh but you know, you have guys like Nate Orchard and stuff coming out and saying they'd really like to see him stay. Joe Thomas is not looking forward to another coaching change. Uh so there's all that. But at the same time, you know, it, there have been years where you've seen guys just come out, lay out there and die. There tomorrow you know, with this game, I'm I expect to see guys who are playing as if they need to make the team. Right. And that's Whatever you want to say about the, the coaching and everything else, the guys who are on this team seem to have a football character that has been missing from this from this organi- from this this city, from this organization for a few years. And if that, if that says anything about the team, maybe that gives you some hope that this is heading in the right direction.
0: Yeah, let's hope. Well, before we go, you are obligated, of course, to pick a Browns victory. I don't know how – I don't know what the path is to it, but I, I think it would have to be sort of a low-scoring mush of a game. The path, I suppose, would be just like what – Baltimore was able to do last week. Although, um, you know, I, I was really surprised, even even as bad as I know Pittsburgh's secondary is, I was still surprised to see Mallet just walk in and, and throw all over them like that. But, um, you know, they've got some guys that can play, but it's not like their weapons are all that much more exciting than the Browns' weapons at this juncture, and they were able to get it done. So um, this is a game that is apparently winnable, and and I'd like to see it done sort of the same way. Go out there, take advantage of what, your advantages are Um, and by that I mean you're going to need to score and you can pass and you threw for like you said almost 400 yards against this team last time Um, the problem is going to be on the other side of the ball and I agree with you it's an opportunity for the defense to make a statement and so that'll be my path to victory I'm going to say the Browns win it 20 to 17 in an ugly ugly game I'll I'll,
1: go 27-24 probably in overtime because God knows that's the only way this team seems to win. And 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 I think both teams will put up an obscene number of yards and then it'll come to defense as being able to hold up in the red zone.
0: Oh, that's always been our strong suit. There you have it, everybody. Pete Smith. You can follow him at underscore Pete Smith underscore. Check him out at NFL spin zone and draft breakdown. Pete's been good cutting it up with you again. We'll uh we'll do it again probably in a week or so once all these changes either do or don't, most likely do, come down. Um, but in the meantime, sir, happy new year and uh, thanks for making the time.
1: Oh, looking forward to another great year of what I'm sure to be a dominant bronze football season. So can't, can't get enough.
0: <laughs> thanks, Pete. You got it. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This has been episode 38 of the Browns Note podcast. Please follow the podcast at the Browns Note. You can follow me at FTBL sickness and follow our guest Pete Smith at underscore Pete Smith underscore, and uh, check out all his good work there at the NFL spin zone and a draft breakdown. Like I said, we will be back sometime in the next week or so following this season finale. Uh, I suppose we could talk about that game, but we probably won't spend a ton of time on it unless something miraculous happens. And then of course there will be plenty of organizational, uh, big picture discussion to be had. So until then, everybody one more time, Go Brown.